0: What I'm investigating is within 15 years of now, the possibility of the biological melding of the human brain and an AI brain.
1: Yes. Uh, Okay. Very interesting.
0: Creating what the the defense department, the American defense department calls genuine centaurs.
1: The Rational View is a weekly series hosted by me, Dr. Alan Scott, providing a rational, Evidence-based perspective on important societal issues. Produced by Soapbox Media. The world needs evidence-based public policy now more than ever. Making the right decisions should not be partisan politics. Please help spread the rational view by going to patron.podbean.com slash the rational view. Together we can make a better future. Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Rational View. I'm your host, Dr. Al Scott. In this episode, I'm continuing my series on human enhancement. I've previously interviewed Julia Dominianni on her experiments on how people adapt successfully to adding a third robotic arm. Technology continues to advance in robotics, computing, and brain-machine interfaces, opening what I think of as a huge Pandora's box on the potential for future human enhancements. What does this mean for human society? To explore this, I'm going to chat with a distinguished author who has explored the issue in depth. If you like what you're hearing, I urge you to press like on your podcast app, share the love, and come visit me on my Facebook group, The Rational View. American author, Washington Post journalist and scholar Joel Garreau is an explorer of culture values and change. He has published several books, including The Nine Nations of North America, Edge City Life on the New Frontier, and Radical Evolution, The Promise and Peril of Enhancing Our Minds and Bodies and What It Means to Be Human. He has served as a fellow at Cambridge University, a Bernard L. Schwartz Fellow at New America Foundation the University of California at Berkeley, and George Mason University. Previously, as a reporter and editor at the Washington Post, he was also a senior fellow at the School of Public Policy at George Mason University. Welcome, Joel, to The Rational View.
0: Thank you very much, Al. You missed one, which is, for the last 10 years, I've been the, uh, the Professor of Culture Values and Emerging Technologies, at Arizona State University for the last ten years, and that's the uh, it, for the last seven years, U.S. News has ranked it as the most innovative in the country.
1: Wow, that's that's yeah. amazing. So you've that had great- you've had a long and distinguished career uh, as an editor at the Washington Post, and as a keen observer of human culture, values, and change. I, I want to ask you just to, to get started, maybe as a as a retrospective over your career what changes in the human condition do you regret most and what gives you the most hope for the future
0: Wow that's a good one um, well let me let, let me let me start by getting us in the picture and then we'll talk about um, what, what freaks me out and what doesn't uh, uh, humans have been shaping the future since fire right I mean yes. radical evolution however which is what I my my third book and what I'm discussing about you know our our subject today is about how for the first time in history we're taking control and redesigning what it means to be human not in some distant science fiction future i'm not making this up but it's happening right now on our watch um now when i wrote in radical evolution 20 years ago our advances today were barely credible i mean i divided our amazingly evolved evolving domains into the grin technologies genetics okay. robotics information and nanotech right and uh right now you know since i wrote genetics means CRISPR. taking CRISPR is a means a genetic means of altering the most the finest level of genetics so that you know we're suddenly taking control of the every ev- evolution of every single living thing. That yeah, that
1: technology months. came out of the, the human genome project I think the all of the investment that went into mapping the human genome and now we can we can look at the DNA in, in the environment and map the genomes of all of the different life and tra- trace it and 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 play with it, right?
0: Yeah, well yeah, but I mean the what, what's, what's revolutionary about CRISPR is you can go in extremely accurately and make certain snips like this. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, for example, uh, a disease is cured, a hereditary Mm. disease. Uh, So that's genetics. Uh, Robotics, again, that was, you know, tracked vehicles 20 years ago. And today, Ukraine is suddenly fighting the first drone war, you know, for both sides. That was hard to imagine 20 years ago. Uh, genetics, robotics, now information. Well, the obvious thing there is the rise of highly capable AI. Uh, yes, I don't need to say more about that. You know, it blew our minds two years ago, much less twenty years ago. Uh, and now nano—that's uh, the working at the level of the extremely small. We're actually mm-hmm. manufacturing computer chips down to the three nanometer scale, and. That's near the size of a molecule, you know. It's comparable yes. to a strand of human DNA. Uh, it's um, one one-thousandth of a human hair. It's really pushing the edge of what's possible in physics.
1: And when they say okay. three nanometers on, on computer chips, that's the resolution of the, the circuitry that they print on the chips. The chips themselves aren't three nanometers, but the circuit elements are three nanometers. So you get extremely yeah. complex systems in very small chips
0: yeah i mean it's and you know yeah those are the wires basically and connections but you know i mean it's, they're pushing up against the edge of where the signal is leaking out because it's so tiny but mm-hmm. so the fact that they're at, actually in the in the manufacturing stage and it works that that's a real mind-blowing blower. right so fine
1: yeah so, right. so 20 years ago you wrote this book radical evolution you know, suggesting that we are at an inflection point in human history. Um, now, obviously, based on the emergence of these technologies, how, this is 20 years ago. How did you do on your predictions? Where, what, what surprised you? What, what were you bang on about?
0: Yeah. Well, I know I'm a, I'm a scenario planner, among other things, which means, uh, scenarios are rational, logical, systematic ways of thinking about the future and so i'm not advocating any of this and i never ever never make predictions predictions are always (laughs) wrong uh scenarios are wise specifically an antidote to how wrong you know i also you know flinch a little when people call me a futurist because you know future a lot of people call themselves futurists are snake oil salesmen frankly and uh anyway i like to suspect that i'm (laughs) more rational about that Uh, but what i did write about in radical evolution was the three scenarios for the future with this incredible you know inflection point in history whereas Mm -hmm. heaven hell and prevail and the heaven scenario is one in which the curve of change you know moore's law and all that um, yes the curve of change was going straight up you conquer pain suffering stupidity ignorance you know, and we all live happily ever after. That's where the transhuman is fine. I'm not a transhumanist. It's a perfectly rational scenario. And I, I'm not knocking it. I just say, but it's, there are two others, hell and prevail in the, okay. in the hell scenario, uh, same curve, but it goes straight down. And we wipe out the human race and possibly the universe starting in. Oh, I don't know the next 20 minutes. And,
1: um, this is Terminator basically
0: oh oh that doesn't even begin to cover it yeah no I mean I'm, you're, you're talking about some of the, some of the hell scenario people respectable people talk about ripping the fabric of the universe I mean you know it, it gets the hell scenario gets pretty bad I uh, in, in when I was writing I had to say to the readers I said look don't panic don't freak out. This is a scenario. There, keep reading. There's also prevail. <laughs> I okay, had, I figured, okay. oh, I mean, it was real stomach churning when I was writing that. God. There's a lot of
1: dystopian futures you can imagine.
0: Yeah. 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 And uh, yeah, dystopians, dystopia, I'm not a fan of dystopianism. I mean, it's, it's so easy to imagine how a complex system could fall apart. I mean, it's mm-hmm. child's play, you know? So, mm-hmm. I, I'm I'm much more interested in trying to imagine how things could go right, just because I'm a contrarian.
1: <laughs>
0: uh, and uh, all right, and the third scenario is prevail, which is completely different from either the heaven or the hell scenario, in that it's not any nice smooth curves, you know, brought about by technology. Prevail is in a whole other place. It's based on the notion that what not what matters in the future is not how many uh, pieces of data we can get to talk to each other. It's how many ornery, cussed, imaginative humans we can connect, and uh, <laughs> and that actually kind of matches our history for the last couple of hundred thousand years. Is Mm-hmm. That we we're uh we the human species has a remarkable ability to muddle through. I mean, just when you think that all is all is over, you know, they amazingly, you know, you get something like uh uh Exodus in the Bible. You know, mm-hmm. when the you know, when Moses and eighty thousand people and their goats and sheep and the whole thing are out there in the in the desert and uh, I mean what are the odds of that working right right right. right. Well, um, so what happens is instead that they muddle through they live out there in the desert for 40 years I've always wondered why 40 years you know that mm-hmm. seems odd you know I mean the Sinai is not that big a desert if you follow the rising sun instead of an angel with a torch promise land is on, <laughs> you know, the promised land is on your left you know it's not that hard but anyway, but you, can you know, find it. the the beauty of hanging out there for forty years was that it prevented just about everybody with a memory of slavery from entering the promised land and that's how the humans managed to muddle through I mean and the same thing goes in you know uh most of our favorite books are prevailed books uh, and movies. I mean, take mm-hmm. World War II. Uh, you know, the British nation of, of shopkeepers prevail against the Third Reich. Well, what are the odds of that, right? Anyway, <laughs> have you ever seen Casablanca?
1: Yes, several movies.
0: Oh, of course. So who has it right at least in my age group and uh, i mean and that's that's a classic prevail story a small bunch of people you know with who are, who are intensely human figure out a way to diagnose solve and cure their problems you know themselves and not waiting you know for some authority to come through um, mm-hmm. you see this
1: mm-hmm.
0: you see the same thing in in uh, um uh, on nine eleven, for example, you know the 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 third plane never makes it to its target. Why? Right. Because the air force was so smart. No. Uh, because the White House was so smart. No. It's because a couple of dozen people on board that aircraft figured out, diagnosed, and cured. You know their, the society's ills in a little under half an hour flat. Uh, mm-hmm. Was it an ideal outcome? No. I mean, they all died, right? Uh, but they yeah. did prevail. And so that's mm-hmm. at the heart of the prevail scenario. And I'm not predicting it, but it's the one, I'm, I'm a humanist, so I'm kind of rooting for it.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, you kind of don't want to, you know, you don't, don't want to bet for the robots, right? <laughs>
0: but, I mean, you know, yeah, could, could AI, could AI, you know, advanced, I mean, could it wipe out the human race? Sure it could. Yeah, sure it could. Am I rooting for it? No, I mean, humans have a, I, I, I'm, I'm interested in Team Human, which is also what I'm writing about in my next book. Um, the uh, Team Human is the, uh, uh, you know, has this ornery, cussed, imaginative, surprising bunch of ne'er-do-wells that have this amazing <laughs> capacity to muddle through.
1: Oh, looking forward to that. That sounds sounds good. So, getting back to the question, the first question: what, what, what are you? Uh, what, let's let's take them one at a time. What, what disappoints you the most about the last twenty years and the development that we we've done? What, what scares you?
0: Let me. Can let me, can I come back to that? Let me tell you what I'm working on now, which will give you some okay. context. All right. Sure. Sure. Uh, what I'm working on now is when I'm finishing up. Yeah, this is my, my fourth book, uh, you know, which is called Blue Lobster, of all things, and it projects mm-hmm. 15 years into the future. And Blue Lobster, the idea behind that is there is such a thing as a blue lobster. It it exists in the Atlantic, and uh, it's a one in 2.5 million genetic anomaly. It's a metaphor for uh, for you know, a, a, like a a you know. A, uh, totally, the like black sky. swan. Uh, yeah, a black <laughs> swan. That's, a good, that's a good way of putting it. Um, so, anyway, and so the black swan that I'm looking at now is what I'm investigating is within 15 years of now, uh, the possibility of the biological melding of the human brain and an AI brain. Yes.
1: Uh, okay. Very interesting.
0: Weather creating what the the defense department, the American defense department calls genuine centaurs, right? Now you've seen, you've seen these things in mythology. You've seen the statues of of centaurs that are half human and half horse. You've Mm -hmm. seen this, right? And okay. Well now we're building better. Believe it or not. Uh, Since 2014, the U.S. department of defense has been talking about Centaur Army as the third offset. Uh, well, historically, the first offset gave the American military a- an overwhelming advantage over its enemies through something that we could do that they couldn't, and that was yes. the nuclear deterrence. Yes. Uh, you couldn't wipe out our retaliation because of our triad, which was launching nukes from air, land, and sea you couldn't take all that up so who cares how many industrial age tanks the soviets had the americans had changed the game fine now the second offset which is what we're living in now made everything in the military smart i mean again most of our enemies were back in the industrial in the industrial age but so what we created was a world in which from smart soldiers to smart leadership To smart weapons, to smart global networks, bringing the whole thing together. This is now known as the American way of war. Uh, The classic example of this is when, you know, we we took out Saddam Hussein's military, you know, World War II military, back in the day. I mean, it just Mm -hmm. it wasn't, you know, it was it was no contest. That's that's the second offset, and now. DOD Department of Defense is talking about Centaur Army. Well, what the hell is that, right? Well, what occurred? Oh, never heard of it. Movie. Yeah, yeah, Centaur. Look it up. Google it. Um, the uh, the guy who was the the creator of that was a guy by the name of Bob Work W O R K like working with you
1: know. Okay.
0: Uh, and uh, Google it, and uh, well. But but and and you can see it in the United States military today. It currently means what it currently means is joining at the hip the war fighters and their drones and robots and sensors and weapons. I mean, linking them up as close as you can. And a classic mm-hmm. example is today's F thirty five jet fighter, right? I mean that's barely. I mean it is a jet fighter, but what it mm-hmm. is it is a a human and a computer network controlling everything around it. That I mean, the pilot can't even fly her plane without her helmet because uh, the helmet displays everything that, that's going mm-hmm. on. It connects her to her plane and the network, and most important, to the flock of drones that are her wingman, wingmen. And so what happens is that, you know, in the – so today – in the case of a hypothetical encounter, um, you know, you can have an overwhelming advantage because in a, in a scenario like this, it doesn't really matter how many conventional jets you're up against, you know, a 20 to one, no problem. I mean, hmm. that's the, I mean, you know, and again, these are scenarios. they not, there are other outcomes, but, but the Air Force has tested the hell out of this And they're pretty confident that this Centaur connection with the, with the, with the visor that means, I mean, I know this sounds like science fiction, but I mean, these things are flying right now. Right.
1: Uh, Yeah. Yeah. The, the drones are especially frightening with what those drone swarms can do. Uh, You know, I've seen videos of, of, you know, just, they give them the picture of who they want to take out and they just go through a city and find them. And, you know, that that's, you know, it's like star Wars. (laughs)
0: yeah well in that example for example i mean a couple of things first of all that example as far as i know is hypothetical and in the works but i'm not i don't i'm not aware that it's actually operational uh and Mm -hmm. the other thing is that it depends on the culture of the civilization that's fielding this technology that's always true and so um so I mean, so for example, American DoD is really, really allergic to the idea of of humans killing uh, people without humans in the loop. Humans in the loop mm-hmm. really matters to them because, for example, uh, if uh, you know, if if a if a, uh, if a if a drone mistakenly took out a school and killed a hundred kids. Well, the drone doesn't go to military prison for this. It's the officers, you know, who made this mistake, mm-hmm. and they're the ones who get court-martialed. And right. and also, there's just the ethical position of uh, Americans just hate the idea, you know, of well, of this. So, so
1: I hope that's true. About, hmm? I hope What's that's that? true.
0: It is true. No, I mean, I'm not making this up. I mean, you look at uh, at Afghanistan, for example, where okay, the drones over Afghanistan, you know, were were run by people operators in at at the Air Force base near Las Vegas, and uh, they, you know, and they had they were the tr- they were the trigger pullers, they were the ones who made the decision, they were the mm-hmm. ones who would be punished if it was wrong. It wasn't the drone that that pulled the – you know, everything up until then, you know, they, they were piloting it. They saw what the drone saw. They saw what the drone had calculated. They saw it all. But they pulled the trigger, and that's pretty common. And, and, and when they made a mistake, you know, and killed the wrong people, which didn't happen all – I mean, I, I'm not an apologist for the American military, but by any means – but on a one to ten scale of these things, I mean, sure there are screw-ups. Stronger word. Insert stronger word here, the screw-ups. Uh, um, but the ratio is by the standards of, of of the fog of war, it was a it was you know, every time that happened, it made the the, the it made the news.
1: Mm-hmm. You know,
0: and people were mm-hmm. horrified. Well, that's kind of typical of where I mean, compare that to, you know, like so for, for example, one of the things that worries me is other technology-capable uh, civilizations and militaries, like the Chinese, the Russians, and God help us, the Iranians. I mean, mm-hmm. I—it's
1: mm-hmm.
0: I, not clear to me that they really care about humans in the loop. They, they they care about wiping out their targets. And if they make a mistake, it's a fog of war, tough shit. You know, uh, I mean, I, I, we'll, we'll get back to that when you talk about what, I, what I'm worried about uh, and what I'm not mm-hmm. worried about. Um, but what I'm focused on in the new book that I'm finishing, mm-hmm. Blue Lobster, mm-hmm. is the near future, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, when DARPA... The United States Defense Advanced Research Projects Administration. Let me explain who they are, if you don't know. This is the skunk works of the American military. They've been around since the 50s. When, When Sputnik surprised the United States, there was a decision that if there was ever going to be a technological surprise again, it was going to be the Americans doing it to their enemies, not the other way around. And that's why DARPA was invented. And DARPA has got quite a track record. They invented, you know, kind of space travel. I mean, NASA, it was, it was a spin-off of DARPA, for example. They invented the internet. They invented uh, GPS, all kinds of things like that. And they've got, a track, I mean, they got, and, and what they're great at is having a very, very high, uh, willingness for failure and so i mean not everything they try works but they're okay with that if they learn and so and that's consider how many organizations are there that have that kind of tolerance of risk that's what made them uh, what they are well so now what's what what what's being imagined for and could and i and i my my reporting suggests that it could happen in 15 years. Is that DARPA could, in fact, link a human brain with an AI brain directly, directly, and mm. it would finally link the imagination and the surprise and the ethics of a human with the incredible research powers of an AI, right? Mm. And and if you do that, you know you're creating. Really and truly, the world's first true Superman, hmm. and perhaps within 15 years. And I mean,
1: that, we, we've gotten that we've gotten radical. close. We're What's close that? now because I mean, although it's not a direct brain uh, computer link, we do have all of the knowledge at our fingertips on our cell phones. <laughs> you know, it's not a direct brain machine link, but you know, look what we've done with that. We we've gone to social media and and videos of cats, um, <laughs> yeah. But that's I,
0: slow. I like your yeah. That's yeah. slow.
1: I but like right our discussion point. about the offsets the the first offset the second offset. But I think you you might be missing an offset, which is the 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 social media um, uh, internal unrest that is. Over, you know, coming in from from troll farms in in several uh, government-sponsored agencies, you know, overthrowing the entire military operation from the inside. Basically, the the, the prowess of a military doesn't matter if you if you get civil war yep. fomented by social media polarization. I think that's a quite a discovery as well that we have to be very careful of.
0: Well, again, I'm not. I'm not. Um making this stuff up i'm reporting how dod thinks about this mm. first second and third offset and that's what dod calls it and that's how they okay. view their you know are the american military and you know and it's and it's evolution but you're right um uh, doesn't mean that our opponents are standing still uh, mm. you know i mean they it's possible you know for mm. them to take to learn from the american way of war and to develop their off, their own offsets. Uh, they haven't been very good at it lately but but what you what you described certainly would would qualify hmm
1: mm-hmm. there there are several anecdotes in your in your book of, of you know amazing technical breakthroughs. Um, is there any that, that stand out to you that you were surprised to uh, you know weren't aware of that, that really stood out as important?
0: Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I was embedded at DARPA for a year. And uh, I was uh, in I was in the section that uh, which was uh, uh, DSO, the the science office, and that Mm -hmm. they were the ones at that time that were totally involved in biology. And uh, the things that they were working on that have not blown up yet. And I don't think they will is, for example, regrowing limbs. You know, salamanders can do it. Why can't we? There's a lot of animals that can that can regrow. Uh, children, if you cut off their finger, a lot of them will grow back up to the age of eight. Really? And, uh, yeah. Wow. Doesn't that blow your mind? I mean, I blew That's my mind. True. Yeah. And uh, so what, you know, so the question they were looking at, so what happens, you know, what switches off that you know, in humans that doesn't in, you know, in, in the salamanders. So, uh, hmm. you know, that, that blows my mind. And, uh, and there, there are a lot of people who are involved in those projects to this day. And, you know, I don't think you're going to see that anytime soon, but it's still not, it's still credible. You know, one of my surprises was, you know, talking about the mind machine interface with the, with the AI, with blue lobster. Um, uh, DARPA was the ones who, who paid for and were at the forefront of the first implants, you know, computer, t- mind, mind machine implants uh, on, a, on a monkey uh, mm-hmm. in 2003. And her name was Belle, and she was this cute little uh, monkey that could control objects long distance with her thoughts. Wow. I mean, wow, right? And what would and this was pretty primitive the this is down at the university of north carolina they were working on it, or it was a duke but anyway in, in a university in north carolina the uh the uh i think it was duke um uh, and what happened is first they got her hooked on computer games they gave her a reward she played the game and you know and if she did it right she got a reward fine then they a you know a, a brain implant with a, a with an array and connected very fine very fine wires directly to her neurons in her in her frontal lobes that control hmm. motion. So okay. they could so they could watch what her brain was doing as she played the game. Fine. Then they did their dastardly deed. They disconnected her joystick. So that nothing she could do with her hand was going to move the cursor. So, but she's a pretty smart, Bella was a pretty smart monkey. So the first thing she noticed was that if she thought about moving the cursor, it moved because of the implant was picking up what she was thinking in her neurons. Right. That's crazy. I know. And that was 20 years ago. And, uh, then the, the the test that really uh, kind of was the proof of of of, uh, of of operation was that they then hooked her up to a robotic arm up at MIT, you know, so seven eight hundred miles away, right? And they fired up the robotic arm. They fired up Bell's neurons and all that, and all of a sudden, the robotic arm at at MIT would go back and forth and up and down just like Belle would if it were Bell who were doing, you know, her, her, her motions. She controlled a robotic arm 800 miles away with her mind and that was the big breakthrough. Now, the surprise to me in the last 20 years is that that technology of using wires and and implants, and, you know, b- drilling holes in your head, <laughs> hasn't really evolved as much you know, or as far as I hear. I mean, it's been perfected in a lot of ways, but it's still wires in your head. It's kind uh, of invasive. I'm sorry?
1: <laughs> it's kind but, of invasive.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. I, uh, you have to be a pretty big nerd to want to have holes drilled or, or pretty crippled putting holes in your head. So, I think
1: what's Elon Musk is pushing for that, right? With his neural, net, oh yeah. neural- you implant a, a, a metal mesh on your brain and then,
0: yeah, a Utah array, that's called. Uh, and, uh, and, of course, I mean, most of that hasn't happened yet. I mean, but that is what he's pushing through, pushing towards. And hmm. if and when that actually functions, I mean, that the next step, the thing is that in the current, implants it's all on the surface of your brain it doesn't go very deep and an awful lot of what makes you human and what control is in fact very deep so how do you and that's what you'd need if you created the the scent the blue lobster centaur you'd have to go pretty pretty far down and there's something called optogenetics which is a technology of glass fibers and Look it up, optogenetics. <laughs> I won't <laughs> bore you with that. But anyway, that at least you know that that people some that people are interested in getting that to. I mean the the human brain is the most complicated thing in the universe, right? I mean it's got more neurons than the universe has stars, and uh, so actually linking up up that whole your whole you know meat. Machine up here to an AI is and this would be an astonishing thing, but there Mm. are people working on it. And Mm. again, I'm not predicting this, but you know, a lot of it depends on how bad uh, people want it. So, I mean, so going from research to reality, it depends how bad people want it. Uh, In the case of the Hiroshima bomb, you know, it went, that went about 10 or, depending on where you put your marker, that that happened in about 10 or 15 years. And so Mm -hmm. it kind of depends, again, you know, so it depends on how fast somebody wants a real no-shit Centaur army.
1: Wow. So there's a lot of hopeful ideas and a lot of frightening ideas that you bring up. What do you believe society needs to know about to manage the coming changes and and stay on the prevail path? What, what would you like people to know about?
0: Yeah. Well, that's, that's a great question. And, uh, that's what I, you know, I've kind of been working on all this time is trying to get people to realize the none of this, none of this, none of this is inevitable. Uh, none of it. It's a scenario. It's not a. Mm-hmm. It's not a. Uh, it's not a prediction. Predictions are always wrong. And uh, you know, there's nothing inevitable about this. And so, like in AI right now, I think people again see this curve of change, and for, which is matches Moore's law, and you know, and the number mm-hmm. of the wires you can hook together in a computer. So all that stuff. And they say, "Oh, we're screwed. There's nothing we can do about this." That's so, not right? true that's simply not true we have had an incredible track record of defying you know the predictions and defying the, the gods and uh, usually from the ground up usually from a small collection of ordinary people who which is what what's the other kind called ordinary <laughs> right? and bringing and you know and getting them involved you know to say that you, they wanted we want to do it in a way that you know that makes that that helps the humans to prevail. We're we're rooting for te- for a team human, not for team machines. And I expect, mm-hmm. I hope, I mean, the the, the early warning side sign, sign of whether prevail would be working with super AI would be whether or not you saw humans coming up with alternatives, and you know, and 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 some of it is just. You know, like you see the European uh, regulations on AIs, that's you know, which is ahead of most the rest of the world. And uh, there's two scenarios to that kind of European regulation. Uh, The down scenario would be that they have just shut off their capacity to to compete with AI, and that they're Mm -hmm. going to become more and more of a backwater. And that's a credible scenario. Uh, but the but the upside that there are that people are that their advocates are hoping for is that they help lead the world by showing examples of how we can control how we can prevail about this AI, and that's also a credible scenario.
1: Hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a good a good scenario to to be able to control ai i don't think control is is the best word though i think what we want yeah. is to have ai that is like us that that has similar values to us um, right now ai isn't given values I, I love the the asimov three rules of robotics kind of science fiction yeah, you know let make you know give give all of the AIs certain rules that they follow but really I mean AIs are designed to mimic brain so they're they're like people that haven't been taught morality in a way.
0: Well that's a good question I mean that's a really good question especially the thing about being like people I mean I you know this I would say that AIs are basically alien intelligences. They, you know, they yeah. don't work. They really don't work like humans at all. I mean, there is no comparison to how an AI works and how a human brain works. It, there's just no comparison. I mean, for one thing, the AI is just doing brute force, and you know, through just in, incredible numbers of calculations with, you know, data centers that cost billions. That's not the way that the, the three-pound piece of meat between your ears works at all. And uh, so. I mean, the idea of getting humans, keeping humans in the loop, th- that, that very much appeals to me. Uh, and I'm glad to see that, you know, that that is a big topic. You know, I mean, especially I'm glad to see that people who have their fingers on the triggers in, in the U.S. military like the idea of humans in the loop. That makes me, yeah. that makes, I'm, I'm not, again, I'm not making predictions. Could this go wrong? Sure. It could tomorrow in the next 20 minutes, you know, but the fact that it's still, you know, the dominant conversation is makes me happy.
1: Mm, mm. Yeah. Well, I, and I agree that that does seem necessary at at this stage of, of lack of control of, of, of the systems that we're building. Um, You know, and as you say, there are bad actors out there, too.
0: Can I jump in? You know, let's get back to the word control, which, you, as you suggested, might not be the best word. Yeah, I Mm -hmm. agree with you on that. Uh, I don't know to what extent you control AIs. What you do is, I mean, they're like, you know, that's like saying you control an 18-month-old. No, you don't. You know, (laughs) not a chance. Have you ever had (laughs) out a baby not a chance. <laughs> but what you do is you teach them and you socialize them and yes. you you know and so when they throw a tantrum and all that jazz you then proceed to teach and 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 you know discuss and you know and and you know and and and, and but basically you don't control them you, you you show them how you know and you make them sit, stand in the corner or whatever you know your favorite behavioral change mecha- mechanism is and hopefully not spanking, um, but anyway, and, and it's that kind of training and education that I mm-hmm. think is more is is a far better uh, analogy than control. I mean, what you're doing is you're you're teaching an alien intelligence how to function in a in a way that's that's uh, decent for our culture and values
1: hmm yeah you're teaching it values you're teaching it human values or you know what what is important to human society yeah. and, and okay. to to have that as, as a value that it holds that it that it makes makes goals associated with that
0: or at least if, or at least I don't know if that it holds the values but it at least avoid avoids checking us off. <laughs> that we teach them to please don't do that. That really bothers me, and they don't. Yeah, I hope.
1: No, that's very good. So, um, this has been a, a really interesting conversation. Um, looking forward to, to hearing about your your new book coming out. When do you think a blue lobster is going to be hitting the market?
0: In the next year, I hope. Maybe two. Excellent. But I, it's it, it's kind of an unusual book. You know, it's a hybrid. Uh, between between uh, fiction and nonfiction and but the the book publishing industry just they, they're entirely divided between fiction and nonfiction and hybrids mm. make them allergic so if you know anybody <laughs> who's, a, who's a fiction agent who wants to, to to look at a really exciting book give me a call Joel at <laughs> <laughs> All
1: right. Very good. Thank you so much, uh, Joel, for, for chatting with us today and, and, and telling us all about the scary and wonderful things uh, that we can expect in human enhancement in, in coming years. Uh, really appreciate you spending your time on The Rational View. And if you'd like, I can send you a Rational View T-shirt for your time.
0: I would be delighted. Large, please.
1: All right. Thank you so much.
0: All right. Thank you, Al.